Yes, sir. You know what time it is. Welcome to Count It, presented by Fanatic Sportsbook. My name is Kazim Famiwide. Thank you so much for joining me. You see the new logos. You see the new graphics. You know what time it is. Let's talk all about some NBA basketball. The Minnesota Timberwolves defeated the Golden State Warriors 104 101, great game from those teams. Uh, fantastic finish, obviously. Big game from Carl Anthony Towns, 33 points. Ele- Wait, what? What happened? Oh, right. There was a fight. Roll the footage. Um, obviously, Draymond Green. Uh, this started with Jaden McDaniels, Clay Thompson getting roughed and tumbled up. Uh, here comes Rudy Gobert trying to break it up, grabbing Klay Thompson, and then Draymond Green putting on the Saginaw sleeper hold on the seven-foot Rudy Gobert. I mean, there's <laughs> all right. There's so many things to break down here. All right, first off, here goes Klay Thompson and Jaden McDaniels. I think Klay really started this. Right, Klay grabs Jaden McDaniels on the baseline. Jaden McDaniels grabs him back. Rudy Gobert, the Timberwolves, try to break it up. Gobert grabs Clay. All right, let's break down right here. Okay, we got a little tussle here, a little pull of the jersey, a little rub. Clay, now, I don't know if Rudy Gobert is necessarily choking or, or grabbing Clay by the neck, but if he did, he ain't doing what Draymond's doing, and that's a full-on uh, a Cojito clutch uh, made famous by Samoa Joe. Uh, the million dollar man. I want to say this is much a million dollar dream. I'd want to say didn't necessarily hook the arm in tight like uh you know Ted DiBiase would, but he got right up under the neck. Didn't necessarily clutch the wrist and the elbow for, for a nice rear naked choke. Uh, that I guess was made famous by guys like uh Alexander Perea. I mean, who else are we talking about? Chuck Liddell. Uh, it, it's a pretty loose rear naked choke here, but still you can't you can't. You can't do that in the NBA. But this is Draymond Green we're talking about, and there's been so much talk in the past two days. This is one of the days that I wish I could have hopped into the studio to talk about it as it was happening because there was so many things to break down here, right? Let's go back to that those photos you just pushed up there, right? Now here, every NBA team has their enforcers, right? And the Minnesota Timberwolves, if you've been following them for many years, whether it was the Jimmy Butler years, the Andrew Wiggins years, the Pat Beverly years, they always seem to be missing that little bit of toughness, that little huspa that a lot of teams, championship teams, seem to have. And quite honestly, I think a lot of people feel like it's it's what's been missing for them in a while. And Rudy Gobert, a person who possibly might be the defensive player of the year this year, leading the Minnesota Timberwolves as the number one defensive team in the league, comes in, tries to have his teammates back, and look at Draymond. There is one black shirt in the middle of several white shirts. Carl Anthony Towns trying to pull off. He's doing, and listen, I, I know Carl Anthony Towns gets a lot of crap for being, you know, having voices that people would think he's a little bit soft or all this, whatever. When your teammates are fighting, you don't grab your teammate. You got to grab the other guy. And Carl Anthony Towns had a clear shot at Draymond Green. And Draymond, I mean, listen, this isn't Draymond's first rodeo. He's been 
in probably the most ugly scuffles in the NBA for the past, I don't know, decade, I'd like to say now. And all this is, is made even more interesting because the last time these two players, these two teams were on the court with one another, Anthony Edwards was fouled very, very hard by Draymond Green. We talked about it. We had a little video. We broke it down and everything. And Draymond Green said to Anthony Edwards several times, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Anthony Edwards, being the guy who knows that if it's your job to get buckets and be the leading scorer and the leader of a team, it behooves you to find out if you get thrown out of a game or not. So he didn't say anything. He let his game do the talking. He let his buckets do the talking. And Draymond Green went on his Draymond Green way. However, it it should be noted that this fight started with the score being 0-0. So whatever bad blood that was boiling over from the game before, it got kicked up a notch right as the in-season tournament game got underway. And that's exactly what happened between the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Golden State Warriors. Now let's 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 talk about Draymond for a second. All right. Draymond Green was suspended five games for his role in the fight. Rudy Gobert uh, was fined $25,000, as well as Jaden McDaniels and Klay Thompson, which I think is crazy. I, I think Rudy Gobert might be the first person in NBA history to be fined for getting choked out, right? Like, I didn't think he was going to get any real punishment, maybe a, a slap on the wrist, but that's a little crazy, but... This is the fifth time that Draymond Green is missing games for some on-the-court shenanigans. Let's jump into the Wayback Machine. First time Draymond Green suspended one game in 2016 of the NBA Finals when he hit LeBron James in the groin. In 2018, Draymond Green was suspended one game for an interaction with his former Warriors co-star, Kevin Durant. None in 2023, Draymond Green got his 16th technical foul of the season and was suspended one game uh, with a, after a, a, a dust-up with Ivaka Zubak and, and Russell Westbrook. In April 2023, he was suspended one game for stepping on DeMontis Sabonis, giving him an A-town stomp and, and trying to walk over him. And this past week is the first time he was suspended for multiple games in his career uh, for the role he played in this. Now, I don't know what to tell you about this, right? Because I think this situation is so skewed because let's just put it out there. If this was any other player but Rudy Gobert getting choked out and any other player besides Draymond Green doing the choking, this gets looked at as an entirely different situation. Could you imagine what would happen if, say, I don't know, Jaden McDaniels put Stephen Curry in a headlock? <laughs> Jaden McDaniels would be hooping in Cuba right now if he did that to one of the faces of the league. But for some reason, I think we all know why. Rudy Gobert, this happens, and it's 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 funny, it's it's jokey, it's laughing. You know, he's been through a lot throughout the league. And I don't know. A lot of people just don't like him. And not for nothing, Draymond Green, he hasn't necessarily missed the popularity himself either. But 
This is his MO. He has been the enforcer for the Golden State Warriors for his entire career. Steve Kerr, the head coach of the team, has been the person who is more often than not had to be the person to hop in front of a microphone and on a press conference and explain Draymond Green's actions and kind of say that, oh, well, you know, that's Draymond playing on the edge and trying to find out the nice balance between this and that. Even in this instance, he goes and says, well, Draymond Green did that because uh, Rudy Gobert had his hands around, around Clay Thompson's neck, which I don't know if we can pull the video up. I don't necessarily see that much choking going on when it comes to what happened with Clay. He grabbed the, he grabbed a little bit of him. I mean, he probably tried to just – I think because he's seven foot and Clay is six six, he just grabbed a little bit of his shoulder and got some of his neck. He wasn't necessarily – had him in a coquina clutch like Samoa Joe or something, but it is it is the dragon. I mean, come on, bro, come on, Dre, come on, Dre. This is kind of getting tired at this point, right? Like, it, it's funny. It, it's gonna create content for people like me and a bunch of other folks out there who do this for a living, and it's hilarious for for many reasons, but. Rudy Gobert had something real poignant to say after the game, saying, well, it was funny because when the game started, I kind of knew that Draymond Green was going to find a way to try and get himself suspended or get himself kicked out of the game. And lo and behold, he was the reason why it happened. But Draymond Green, going into his, let's say, uh, how many years has he been playing in this league now? He's about to be 33 years old. Been in the league since 2012. Damn near 13 years now. How many more times is a team like the Golden State Warriors and the NBA are going to have to excuse this type of behavior from him, right? Like, I like Draymond. I think Draymond's great for basketball. I think he's a fantastic basketball player because he is incredibly unselfish. Like, I don't want to say this is a thing about him making it be all about himself, but he knows his role is to protect the Splash Brothers, get them open shots, guard the other team's best player, and be the quarterback on defense. But he also knows that his role is to be the tough guy, be the person that, if anything goes down, I'm the one jumping in the middle of it. And for better or worse, whether you're tired of Draymond Green's antics or not, in that situation, in that split-second situation, he did the right thing as a teammate, which has come to the defense of one of his players. Now, he may have held on just a little bit too long. He may have possibly just done a little bit of going over the edge, which seems like what he always does. But I'm kind of tired. Me personally, I'm a little tired of it, man. Play ball, bro. Like, I don't know if it's anger issues. I mean, I know he had a podcast out where he was talking about working on his mental space and being one with himself and doing zen and meditating and breathing and all this type of stuff. And he sounded like he was turning over a new leaf. He sounded like somebody who had become a different person. But I'm not here to psychoanalyze anybody I do not know personally. But this dude seems like somebody who just loves confrontation and to be honest if you're his teammate 
He's a guy you want in the foxhole with you. But me as a consumer of NBA basketball, which I think 98% of the other people who saw that instant, uh, that incident happen is, I think they're kind of tired of this Draymond shenanigans too. And not for nothing, Draymond continuing to do this is in so many words saying, who going to check me, boo? Not you, Adam Silver. Not you, coach. Not you, Minnesota Timberwolves. I'm going to keep doing Draymond Green things. Nobody can tell me how to be Draymond better than me. You saw it on his Instagram story right after the Anthony Edwards incident happened. He came into this to this game with violence on his mind. I'm sorry. Like, I'm just giving you the context clues. The Wolves gave him the business that night, and then they gave him the business again right afterwards. And it all led to Draymond Green pretty much saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to do what I need to do to send the message to this team. Because in all instances, if, if, if the basketball gods and the Cosmos are fair and just, like Anthony Edwards wished in a GQ interview before this season, we will probably see a Minnesota Timberwolves, Golden State Warriors, playoff series if the basketball gods are the benevolent gods that we hope they are to be however the big thing they got to worry about and I think it's the one thing that nobody wants to talk about when it comes to the Golden State Warriors team is that they're probably not as good as they think they are outside of Stephen Curry Clay Thompson hasn't been great this year Andrew Wiggins hasn't been great this year Kevon Looney's doing all right, but he could only do so much on his, for his role. Chris Paul is getting old. Steph Curry's still doing Steph Curry things. And after a fast start to the season, they've been losing game after game, including two straight to the aforementioned Minnesota Timberwolves. And they are led by a player that doesn't take no mess and could arguably be the best player on the floor at any given time in a game that also includes Stephen Curry. So as far as the Draymond stuff is concerned, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, to be honest, I think the five-game suspension seems a little bit light. They did say they took into account all of his previous transgressions and everything that's happened with him before. But I'll be honest, man. Once I saw that choke out and I saw him, uh, Rudy Gobert, getting dragged uh, by his feet all over the, the target center, I said, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see Draymond Green playing basketball again, again until 2024. But maybe that was just the ghost of David Stern just coming from the grave and, and not playing that, 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 he's not playing that mess, right? Like, this wasn't necessarily Malice in the Palace level action, but after that, after the Malice in the Palace happened, we didn't see none of this for a while. I mean, we saw scuffles, they get broke up here and there. You can't even get off the court anymore during a scuffle with, without running the risk of suspension. But Draymond Green's going to keep playing in your face until you sincerely make him pay for it. Now, he's going to lose about $750,000 as far as um, game checks are concerned with this five-game suspension. <sighs> but there's nothing more annoying than somebody who does this when you know it's a game of basketball. And that's all you bring to the table. Scoring-wise, he's not that dude. Defensively, he's getting up there in age. 
He could talk a great game still, better than anybody in the league. But at the same time, he's not the player that he once was when the Warriors were winning championship after championship after championship. He's just not. On the season, he's averaging eight points a game, five rebounds, five assists, triple single. I mean, obviously, I mentioned a whole lot of instances. That's not to mention the Jordan Poole stuff that happened in practice where he got punched out and Jordan Poole was out of there. And after a while, you got to start to wonder, is the Draymond Green antics worth the, what, four championships, three championships that the Golden State Warriors have won over the years? I'd say probably. But how long is it? I feel like the Warriors have already answered that question for you once you saw what they did in the regular season. They had a chance to be like, ah, Draymond, you've been great to this organization. You've been great for the city. You've been great for this franchise. But I think it's time for us to move on. Uh, we got to pay Jordan Poole. He's a better player and scorer and, you know, this, that, and the third. But Draymond Green is very much a part of that Golden State Warriors culture, and they made their decision in the offseason to lie in bed with a guy who at least one time a season is going to miss some games for being a little bit too aggressive. I think it's silly. I think it's got to stop eventually. But the messed up thing about the whole Draymond Green incident is that I think everybody knows, and I think the Golden State Warriors even know, that without him playing on that edge, that physical edge, whether it's a little bit of low blow, whether it's kicking people, whether it's stomping people, whether it's hitting people in the head, whether it's just playing a little bit too rough, and not for nothing, my style of basketball, which I like, I'm a 90s basketball guy, I'm a New York Knicks fan, you ain't going to get a whole lot of complaining from me, but this is 2023, man. This ain't what you do. And he, I, I think he's ran out of cards to play at this point. He can't pull nothing like this anymore. I think the next time he breathes on somebody a little bit too hard, he's missing games. And that's the risk you run when you're running with Draymond Green, a Hall of Fame player playing for one of the greatest franchises ever, and he's a big part of that. Out for five games. When you need him, too. The Warriors have lost four games in a row, and without Draymond Green and Steph Curry possibly being injured, it could be more. So is it worth it? Who knows, guys? I think as of right now, that still remains to be seen. Let's jump into some more NBA action. Same night, in-season tournament, while all this craziness is happening, the Los Angeles Clippers took on the Denver Nuggets. The Clippers have not won a game since James Harden joined the team. And going up against the Denver Nuggets, they were still they were going to have an uphill battle to break that curse. And they have, even though they played a lot better than they have in the past games, and it came down to the wire, and it came down to the last shot, going up against the defending champions without Jamal Murray, Clippers lost one more time. 111-108. They are now 3-7 on the season. Nikola Jokic, 32-16-9. 35 points for Paul George. 21 points for James Harden. 15 points for Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard had some, I mean, James Harden had some things to say about the game afterwards. Talking about announcers from other organizations. Talking about getting his team together. He said, quote, it's just people talking. 
I guarantee you that if you put anyone else in this situation, it won't benefit them. That's my mindset. But my focus is on getting wins. When we figure this out, it's going to be scary. We're getting there. We'll let others talk. And we'll put the work in. It's going to take some time. And that's okay. And to be honest, he's right. It is going to take some time. But with this team, even if they get it together, are they built to beat a team like the Denver Nuggets at full strength? Are they built to beat a team like the Sacramento Kings? Are they built to beat a team like the Los Angeles Lakers? I'm not necessarily sure they are. Because in this specific game, Zubac, who played pretty good defense on Nikola Jokic, was subbed out in the fourth quarter. And they have Paul George guarding the best big man, probably the best player in the NBA, out of position for most of the fourth quarter, and that's exactly when he took over. And James Harden keeps saying if and when, it's going to be scary, it's going to be this, it's going to be that. If if was a spliff, I'd be Wiz Khalifa, man. There's a whole lot of ifs out there. And... That's not the way this game is played. That's not the way the NBA season rolls, bro. If everybody if everybody was playing their top level every single night out, of course you can always say, oh, well, we'd be as good as, the, as this team or we'd be championship level that team. But that's not how the ball bounces sometimes. You could have all your players playing at optimal level, and sometimes the ball doesn't bounce your way. So if you're a Clippers fan, hearing James Harden saying – it's going to be scary. We're working on it. It's going to get better. Obviously, you don't know what else he's supposed to say. But at the same time, it's starting to get real old real quick. He wants to get back into James Harden shape. He wants to get back into his MVP level shape. He wants to be the system. He wants to play his style of basketball. And unfortunately, the returns have not been great so far. I personally think they'll eventually get it together. I personally think they will eventually start getting more wins. But can I make a suggestion? And here's the thing I don't think they're really playing to. If getting it together, if, if working it out, if, 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 if it becoming a scary proposition is a real thing, do you entertain bringing James Harden off the bench? Is James Harden willing to come off the bench if that's going to be what makes this team right? I mean, before he got on his team, Russell Westbrook was the primary ball handler. They played a certain speed, a certain style, and he hasn't necessarily gotten back to that since then. Eight points, three assists, six rebounds, and 24 minutes of action last time out. Those are four players in your starting lineup that need the basketball. And if you're James Harden and you want to make this work, I don't necessarily you're I don't necessarily think he's thinking about the entire thing making it work. I think he's saying making it work for him. Who goes to the bench? I personally think one of those guys has to sit. Whether it's Russ, whether it's James, one of those dudes has to come off the bench with a distinct specific role to be themselves when they come in the game. And if Russell Westbrook's going to be the one coming off the bench, I don't think that's going to fly. If James Harden's going to be the one that's coming off the bench, I don't think that's going to fly. 
So even though I do think they'll eventually start winning games and they'll eventually start looking better than they have in the, in the, in the early part of the season, I don't necessarily know if guys are going to be happy playing the roles that is necessary for them to do it. So I suggest this to Ron Lou. If you want to make yourself the guy, if you want to make yourself a, a, a coach of the year candidate like we've all seen you be, whether it's with less talent that you had in the past or with more talent as far as being a member of the Cleveland Cavaliers or a coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers, it might be a hard thing to do, but you got to look at one of those two former NBA MVPs and say, we need you to lead the second unit for this thing to work. It's the only way I see it happening. I'm sorry. If you want James Harden to play James Harden-type basketball, he's either got to come off the bench or somebody else got to sit. There's too many options. There's too many players on that team that play a specific style of basketball that is not conducive to what makes this Clippers team go. Now, who's going to be the one to be the bad guy? Is it going to be the coach? Is it going to be the players? Is James going to say, hey, you know what? I'll come off the bench and do it. I don't think it's going to be Kawhi, and I don't think it's going to be Paul George. I think Paul George has been the best player on the L.A. Clippers this season. I think you need Kawhi Leonard's defense and offense starting. You got to tell a former MVP to come off the bench, and that's a really hard thing to do. We'll see if Teron Liu has the stones to do that because I just don't see this foursome working out in a starting lineup. That's just me, though. Let's talk about last night's game of the night in Atlanta. The New York Knicks, the Atlanta Hawks, the rivalry for the past three years continued last night. And it went absolutely down to the wire as the New York Knicks squeak out an important gutsy win, 116-114 against their rival Atlanta Hawks. No R.J. Barrett in this game again, dealing with migraines. Quentin Grimes leaving the game late. In the fourth quarter with an apparent hand injury. But behind Julius Randle, Emmanuel Quickly, and Jalen Brunson, the Knicks took down the Hawks in a late game surge where I've seen these teams and I've seen these Knicks teams lose many, many times over. With about five minutes left of the game, the New York Knicks were down seven points. Atlanta was rocking. Pretty much thought the Hawks were finally going to get off the snide and get a win over the New York Knicks. Trey Young, 15 points, 17 assists. Bogdan Bogdanovich, 28 points, three rebounds, three assists. But in the late game, it was all Jalen Brunson, Emmanuel Quickly that did what had to be done to finish this game off. Let's talk about Julius Randle, who's had a, a, a rough start to the season so far. But in his last several games, he's been looking like the Julius Randle we are used to in New York City. 27-10 and 10 against the Clippers, 23-16 and 16 against the Spurs, 23-5 and 5 against the Hornets, 25-9 and 9 against the Celtics, 29-10-8, almost messed around and had a triple-double against the Atlanta Hawks, and he came out aggressive to start the game. The Hawks are in the second game of a back-to-back, and, the you know, Julius Randle, who has had a long-standing history with this Hawks team ever since that playoff series where Trey Young was dubbed the king of New York, 
has been doing his thing lately. He's still averaging 19 points, 10 rebounds, and five assists per game. But you got to give it up to Julius, man. He he's starting to he's starting to turn it around. He shot the ball really well, 12 for 24 from the field, three for five from downtown, hitting some clutch assists, getting Emmanuel quickly, uh, you know, matchup advantages against Trey Young, and knowing that he's not necessarily the best defensive player uh, over there. And Emmanuel quickly made him pay for it in the fourth quarter, hitting some big threes, some clutch buckets, getting to the hoop, doing his thing. But it was Jalen Brunson in crunch time when they were up by one point who iced the game and sealed the deal with a devastating mid-range bucket, letting them know all about it, hitting him with the Brunson burner and doing their thing. The Knicks needed this one going up over 500, six and five on the year, shooting 47% from deep, 47% from the field on the game and 90% from the free throw line. Big, big win statement when gutsy win for the New York Knicks. We'll see if they could bounce back. Jalen Johnson, who is probably going to get a lot of most improved player of the year votes uh, from the Atlanta Hawks. He had a strong game, 18 points, five rebounds. Deontay Murray, who's been playing really well as of late, didn't necessarily have his best game shooting the ball last night. 13 points, two assists, and five rebounds on eight, on six for 12 shooting. Um, Got to give it to the Knicks, though, man. I, I, it always feels a little sweeter. When you beat the Atlanta Hawks, I'm sorry. It's it, it it just is. It's not really a rivalry. I say it's a rivalry. It's not really a rivalry between teams, Atlanta and New York. It's really a rivalry between a city and a player. And as a fellow New Yorker, I think I speak for all New Yorkers when I say something about just beating Trey Young just makes the flowers smell better in New York. Makes the traffic not as bad in the city the next day. Makes the bacon, egg, and cheeses taste just a little bit better the next morning. There's just something about beating Trey Young and him not shooting the ball well and him not doing saying it's quiet as bleeping here after getting a bucket over Frankie Smokes, of all people, who didn't play a single minute of that damn playoff game, which I still can't believe Tibbs did. And after Adidas made him a king of New York sneaker just a little bit prematurely, don't you think? It just feels good getting the dub over Trey on the Atlanta Hawks. And I know I'm supposed to be objective. I know it's just a regular season game. But damn it, it's still beef on site. Still not safe for Trey Young and Dykeman as long as... He's a member of the Atlanta Hawks. Just don't like him. And on top of that, the worst part about it is, in seasons past, I would get up for these games. I'd be like, oh, yeah, we got to get him. Uh, Trey Young, this dude, this, this ish talker. But even though he's averaging 23.5 points and 10 assists per game, his shooting percentages have been abysmal to start the season. Shoot 35% from the field. Shooting 27% from downtown. That's just not going to get it done. But he did what he had to do, man. He, he played very well. And even in that, um, even in that 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 uh defeat that Trey Young got, he still managed to, I guess, make a little history. Trey Young became the first player in the NBA 
to notch more than 20 games where he delivered 15 or more assists this decade. No other player in the NBA has been able to achieve that since the 2020 started. He's been a great, great playmaker, but he has still been struggling to find his shot and become an efficient shooter. And it seems like anytime the Atlanta Hawks lose a game, it's been on the inefficiency of Trey Young. Not going to say, like, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. I'm not going to cry myself to sleep. Figure it out against some other teams, not against the New York Knicks. The other game of the night was the Philadelphia 76ers taking on the Boston Celtics. It was a battle of the top two teams in the Eastern Conference. And the Boston Celtics on the road without Jalen Brown and without Kristaps Porzingis managed to pull off the victory 117-107 to move to 9-2 on the season. Jason Tatum finished the game with 29 points, 8 rebounds, and 6 assists. My vote for probably the most underrated player in the NBA, Derek White of the Boston Celtics, dropped 27 points, 5 assists, and 3 rebounds, while Drew Holiday chipped in with 18 points, 10 rebounds, and three assists. Al Horford getting the start for Chris Porzingis. Chipped him with 14, 8, and 3. While the Philadelphia 76ers on the second game of a back-to-back after playing against the Indiana Pacers team who loves to get up and down and still without Kelly Oubre who I guess was hit by a car. That's a whole nother story. I don't even know what's going on with the Kelly Oubre stuff situation. But in any case, Still, one would think at home, with Tyrese Maxey playing the way he is and having an NBA MVP, you would think that they would win that game. But they didn't. Maxey and Embiid had 20 points apiece. Embiid chipped in seven assists and nine rebounds. But the thing that people are talking about this morning is the quotes that the reigning MVP had about the Boston Celtics afterwards. He said, quote, we're professional athletes. That's the schedule. You just got to do it, speaking about the, the the back-to-back that they played. But he said, but yeah, though, it's tough, especially playing Indiana twice and then on a back-to-back playing the best team in the league. It's tough, but no excuses. Calling the Boston Celtics the best team in the league? You know what's crazy about that, Joel Embiid? I thought y'all were the best team in the league, <laughs> right? I just did my power rankings. Number one, over the defending reigning NBA champion Denver Nuggets. At, as, as of that moment, as of two days ago, I said the Philadelphia 76ers were the best team in the league. And you know what? If you would have got more than two shots in the fourth quarter and didn't have Al Horford putting you in the torture chamber in the fourth quarter, I would be calling you the best team in the league right now because that's a game you got to win. I'm sorry. With no poor zingers. With no Jalen Brown, and at home, even on the second game of back-to-back, playing the Pacers twice in a row, that's a game you got to get. And sometimes, as much as I love Joel Embiid's candidness and his ability to just keep it real and just be keeping it funky about anything and everything, off the court, on the court, whatever, there's something about him just calling a team that you just played the best team in the league that doesn't necessarily rub me the right way. Now, I know. It's hard to ask people questions when they're tired, not getting a lot of oxygen into the brain. You don't really have that filter that sort of turns off of saying something that you should say and shouldn't say when you just played a whole lot of games and you're tired. 
So a lot of times, the truth sort of just slips out of that filter. And if in the back of his head, Joel Embiid truly thinks the Boston Celtics are the best team in the league, well, who am I to tell him he's wrong? Until you beat those guys, until you beat them in the playoffs, until you do anything of significance against the Boston Celtics, it doesn't matter if Tyrese Maxey's playing like an All-NBA player. It doesn't matter if you're back in the MVP conversations. It doesn't matter if Kelly Oubre comes back and is still playing at a high level as he was. And it doesn't matter who you beat. Until you get statement wins against teams like them, like the Nuggets, like other teams in the league, you're going to get that ugly F word in front of the Philadelphia 76ers. And that F word is fraudulent. Sorry. That's just the way it goes. You said it. You called them the best team in the league. And I understand that that's kind of how the way it goes. But Embiid getting 20 points, two shots in the fourth quarter when you had opportunities to impose your will and be the best player on the court, that can't happen. They're human. He was probably tired. He was probably saying, if you, if you pick apart that quote and see everything he was saying, in so many words, he basically said, man, motherfuckers was tired. He was tired, bro. <laughs> we tired. And uh, that's a whole nother story uh, to get into. But we'll see, man. We'll see what Kelly Oubre, if he's out for a long time. They said he was out for a couple of months, and now they're saying a couple of weeks. And last night there was some ring camera footage that, Leaked from his apartment when, with his bicycle, and there was no footage of this automobile accident. I, I, how, how TMZ gets this sort of stuff? I mean, shout out my guy Corey. I, I'll, I'll never know. I don't know what the rules are as far as, you know, ring camera and Amazon and getting footage and legal rights and all this type of stuff. I don't know, but something don't smell right about the whole Kelly Oubre thing, man. Now, I saw the video, and... The bike did look kind of mangled, and I don't think he's not telling the truth, but a player who plays for the 76ers getting into an automobile accident right in front of Central City, Center City, that's like that's like Emmanuel quickly getting into a, a car accident on 34th Street, and, and there's no footage. There's no footage? There's no video? Nobody saw anything? Something don't smell right in the kitchen about that one. Uh, I hope he's all right. I hope, you know, it doesn't get anything more nefarious than that. I, 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 I scroll the social media landscape, and I'm seeing justice for juicy memes and Jussie Smollett stuff. I hope it ain't that because I like Kelly Oubre, and I want him to be on the court, and I want him to play because he's been playing the best basketball of his career so far. But the man is legitimately hurt, and I hope it's just as simple as a, a unfortunate hit and run accident. I'm not saying I hope it was a hit and run accident. I, that sounds crazy, but you know, I just hope it's nothing, anything more that that leads to any more wild craziness that just seems to emanate from the Philadelphia 76ers organization every single year. Right? I feel for Sixers fans. You, you go through the the Harden fiasco. You made it through the Ben Simmons mess. You got through the Markel Fultz stuff. You, you draft Tyrese Maxey, who happens to be an all-NBA talent. Your Embiid becomes MVP. You, you start off the season on fire, and now this happens. It's tough. It's unfortunate. And I hope this is the, 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 the most we hear about it. 
Man, I got a sneaking suspicion. That's not. This isn't going to be the last we hear about what happened to Kelly Oubre uh, on his bicycle in this automobile accident. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. My name is Bennett, and I ain't in it, man. I don't know nothing. But we'll see. I'm sure TMZ will find out. Them, They find out every damn thing. Uh, a little bit of notes around the league, though. Let's get into it. The Milwaukee Bucks without Giannis Antetokounmpo squeeze out an important victory against the Toronto Raptors, especially off the back of Dame Lillard, who has not necessarily been shooting great from the field so far. Uh, going into the game, he was shooting 35% from the field, 27% from deep. He woke up with a 37-point 37, 37 outing, 9 for 18 from the field, 4 for 10 from 3, 13 assists, Four rebounds. Big game from Malik Beasley as well. He dropped 30 points and four rebounds. And Bobby Porter chipped in with 18 points off the bench. Scotty Barnes, a guy who I'm high on, a guy who I think is going to be a future star in this league. He had a great game for the Toronto Raptors. 29 points, seven assists, nine rebounds. Jakob Pertle chipped in with 13 and 11. Grady Dick with his first start of the season. He chipped in with 11 points and two assists in 26 minutes of action. Tyrese Halliburton, he's been on an absolute tear this season. He's been balling against the Philadelphia 76ers in the back-to-back -back game. He had 15 assists, 33 points, 7 rebounds, no turnovers. In the game before that, he had 25 points, 17 assists, 1 rebound, no turnovers. He is playing like the best point guard in the league. And I think after the first couple of games of the season, I was wondering to see if this Indiana Pacers start was Fugues or for real. I'm starting to lean more towards the for real side for the Indiana Pacers. They play at a high level of octane of offense that is tops in the league right now. Obi Toppin is starting to, 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 to round into shape as a very good basketball player and as a starter for the Indiana Pacers. Buddy Heald's been a great uh, contributor off the bench. Benedict Matherin been very good as well. And they're third in the Eastern Conference, right behind the Boston Celtics and the Philadelphia 76ers. So Tyrese Halliburton playing like probably the best point guard in the Eastern Conference right now, right at this moment. He's averaging a career-high 24 points, 24.7 points per game, leading the NBA in assists and 12.5 assists a game shooting a career-high 52% from the field and a career-high 43% from downtown. Nine double-doubles in the league, tied for second in the NBA. Tyrese Halliburton, that jump shot's funky, but it goes down, man. It, it, do what you got to do. The Pacers, fun team to watch, man. If you're, looking for, if you're looking for league pass teams, if you like offense, if you like teams that get up and down, run the court offensively, very interesting with Rick Carlisle at the helm. The Indiana Pacers might be your team for your league pass runs. And the Lakers, to live with them is to die with them. They crushed the Grizzlies a couple of nights ago. Great game from them. Um, with his, you know, it's, it's the Lakers. It's the, it's the Grizzlies, man. We already know they've not necessarily been uh, the best team in the league uh, so far. They beat them 134-107. Behind a big game from uh, uh, D'Angelo Russell, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis. LeBron James only had 16 points, but in 23 minutes of action, nine rebounds and six assists. Rui Hachimura, great game from him. Cam Reddish starting to turn it around, 10 points. And Anthony Davis chipped in with 19 points, 11 rebounds, and five assists. And they talk a little trash, too. They said, man, when was the last time you and LeBron James got to sit in the fourth quarter 
of a game. And Anthony Davis said pretty coyly, well, I think it was the last time we played the Memphis Grizzlies. So no love lost between those two teams. That playoff series uh, was definitely a, two t- a tale of two franchises going in opposite directions. But the Lakers got their get back last night as the Sacramento Kings led wire to wire against the Los Angeles Lakers, beating them 125-110, led by DeMontis Sabonis, 29 points, 16 rebounds, and 7 assists. Fun fact and fun uh, stat for you uh, people that are into that type of stuff. DeMontis Sabonis is undefeated against Anthony Davis. Never lost to them. I think he's 9-0, if you can believe that or not. Uh, De'Aaron Fox chipped in with 28 points, 5 rebounds, and 5 assists behind a strong first quarter. And Kevin Herter also dropped 28 points, 7 assists, and 4 rebounds. I know people was cracking jokes about people not uh, taking them Kevin Herter parlays. You might want to, man. He's been doing pretty good this season. He's averaging 14 points per game, shooting really good from downtown, nearly 40% from three. And he dropped uh, 28 points, a season high for him. So far, the Lakers, they made a light, a late charge uh, last night before the game ended. LeBron James became the second oldest player in NBA history to record a triple-double. 28 points, 12 assists, and 10 rebounds in 35 minutes of action. D'Angelo Russell chipped in with 28 points, 5 rebounds, and 5 assists. Anthony Davis, not the best game from him. 9 points, 9 rebounds, 35 minutes of action. And Cam Reddish, shout-out to Cam Reddish, man. 16 points. In his second straight start for the Los Angeles Lakers. But the Lakers fall to 6-6 six and six in the season. And the Kings open up at 6-4. and four. Guys, that's a wrap for today's episode of Count It. Brought to you by Fanatic Sportsbook. My name is Kazim Famiwide. Thank you so much for kicking it with me. Thank you so much for talking all things NBA basketball. I'll be with you tomorrow to get all in on some more in-season tournament action and a whole lot more. Until then, enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy the games tonight, and I'll see you tomorrow, people. Have a good one. Peace out.